Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Cross Wires. It's James here, and this is the technological, technological, the technology podcast. Oh, actually, if it, no, from now on, we have a technological variety show. <laughs> I like it, the technological variety show. This week, we have a wonderful returning guest. I think three appearances at this point now. Is it three? Wow. Three, yeah. Because, and in fact, it's nearly a year since your first appearance because you joined us so look folks we're back with Gideon Mayhew from the Icon Factory thank you so much for being here once again thanks for having me again always a pleasure so the first time we talked to you was just around the time of the unmentionable incident with Twitter (laughs) (laughs) things have not gotten any better over there have they (laughs) It's so funny. I've, I've talked about this a couple different times, and we all are starting to refer to him as the, the he who shall not be named or shall not be mentioned. And I, I, I love that myself. I, I personally like that a lot. So I'm fine with that. I'd like that. I'd like the idea of comparing a certain Tesla owning. Yeah, he owns Tesla, so I suppose he's a Tesla owner and boring gentleman as he who shall not be named i think we can we can adopt that from this point forward on this show there you go i like it thank you now so we talked obviously about the the unfortunate incident the x incident as it shall now be referred to and then of course earlier this year you came back and you joined us for a wonderful discussion on the technology of star trek now now despite the episode title and what we're going to be talking about this is not a Star Trek podcast. This is not a recap of the uh, the wonderful TNG episode Tapestry <laughs> with uh, with John Delancey as Q. I mean, just gonna ask you, Jed, did you lose a fight with a Norsican? <laughs> Man, well, I love that episode. I did it. You know, I recently did a poll on Mastodon about their favorite Q. Who? What's your favorite Q episode? And Tapestry was in there, and it got a lot of votes. Actually. Um, my personal favorite is Q Who, but yes, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, Q Who's the introduction of a Borg, yeah, and I like it. I like how mysterious Guinan is in that episode. Yeah. There's stuff we clearly still don't know about their relationship, but hey, this is not the topic of this, this episode. <laughs> stay on target. Stay on target. Now we're mixing sci-fi metaphors. Oh boy. <laughs> You're going you're gonna to get letters about that, probably. Use the force, Harry. Yeah, I got, I've got my, my Star Wars Tauntaun shirt oh, on. I love, so. it. <laughs> love it. All right. So we're going to be, first of all, talking about something really quite exciting. But, I mean, where are we at this point? About t- two weeks in, if that? Not, yeah, less than that. And, um, yeah, we have... There's 28 days to go for the Kickstarter, so I think we had 35 total okay. days. So wow, we are we are literally about a week into this, and yeah. so what we're talking about here is a new Kickstarter from the Icon Factory, Project Tapestry. Now, first thing I really want to ask you is, you guys have been around for a while. You've done a lot of apps. You do a lot of other things like icons and everything like that. Why a Kickstarter for a new project, a new app like this? Well, I mean, 
We've done it before. We did it back in 2017 with the Twitterific for the Mac. And it proved to be a a really good model for how to develop a piece of software. It it helps to reduce the risk, the financial risk. We're a small little company. And if we spent a year working on this app and then put it in the app store and no one liked it or didn't make enough, uh, it could easily, you know, bankrupt us. And we needed to try to take some of that risk out of the equation. And Kickstarter served us in the past, and it looks like it's serving us again for Tapestry, which is great to get the project funded before the primary development begins. And also, too, to accept feature requests and and things that people want in such an app. Which is, which is a great way because we're not developing it in total secret and everybody has a little bit of a say into it and, and all of those things. Which is, is awesome. And I like that aspect. It, it adds a little bit of financial security, actually a lot of financial security for yourselves yeah. to be able to develop it. And, and I think there is with Icon Factory, I don't think anyone's got this concern, but Kickstarters don't always have the best. What's the word? Trustworthiness. Repu- yeah, reputation. Yeah, reputation. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That, you know, depends on the, who's bringing it to you. And, but we've been there before, and we've not only Kickstarter, but we've been around for 25 years developing apps and doing what we do. So our reputation, I, I like to think, is pretty solid, and people can trust us to, to do what we promise and deliver on, on what we said we were going to deliver on. Absolutely. And, um, so it, it, I think it's going to work out well. I'm, I'm excited about it. We all are, awesome. really, and we are what at this point seven, as I said, seven days in, and already funded, beyond funded at this point. Right. And I like that. Right. So we, before we talk about what the funding means, let's talk about what tapestry is now. I love the description that you put on onto the Kickstarter about how. You know, all our different feeds, be it, you know, our RSS feeds, our social networks, the good ones. Um, <laughs> the, the good, good ones, ones yeah. yeah. Uh, images, you know, blogs, micro blogs, uh, anything like that. We all have so many different ways. And maybe you've got 20 different browser tabs to monitor all the things. Maybe you're using, you know, for blogs you're probably using something like net news wire or uh reader or something along those lines and it gets complicated you need so many apps to yeah. keep up on stuff right so what's right. what's the idea then behind tapestry i mean the idea is to take all of those disparate feeds and sources and to weave them together into a single unified timeline on your ios device so that you can chronologically keep track of what is posted from all these variety of places, whether it's a blog, a post on Mastodon or Blue Sky or NASA or a micro blog or your favorite, the YouTube channel that you subscribe to that could even appear in your timeline. There's a whole range of, of possibilities there. And the, the, the intent is to make it a single place where you can keep track of these things and note what you have and haven't read and also to try to keep track of what is popular and what people are posting a lot of and you what you want to pay attention to and what you don't want to pay attention to and those parts are key i think and at least that's what we 
we want to do. It depends on a lot of things, but there's going to be some technical hurdles. And of course, we have to get to some stretch goals to do everything we want to do feature wise in the application as well. But at the heart of it, that's what tapestry is. It's a, an, a single timeline that you can filter or just scroll forward in time or back in time to, to pay attention to what you want to pay attention to at any given moment. I mean, the idea is it's completely within you, as in the user's control, of what you see. No algorithms, no No. content rating. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, at the moment, how's it going to work in terms of getting new, now, how do you call it, new new feeds? How's that going to work to start with? Well, ideally, we would love to have like a, a very simple browsing a, a database of, of sources that you can browse within tapestry and add them into the app. Um, they'll come, the app will come with some predefined sources that you can turn on or add to your timeline at will, but you'll also be able to plug in sources of your own making or find a destination or an RSS feed and add them manually to the app. And then today we just posted details about, the do-it-yourself nature of the API that Craig Hockenberry has been developing so that developers can can create their own connectors if they want. If they have a really unique and niche kind of source or data feed that they want to put into Tapestry, they hopefully will be able to do it. If the, if the data exists on the web in a public place, then you can probably build a connector for it and get it into Tapestry. That's really awesome. Now, I've got to ask, is all the API documentation in all caps? <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah. It, I mean, a lot of things are in flux. You know, you know there's, there's there's so much stuff. We we just at the very beginning of all of this, and we there's going to be a lot of 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 interface challenges to say the least as we move forward. How to manage all of that data? How to how to keep users from feeling overwhelmed with all of that data? It could literally turn into a fire hose on your device. And how do you negate that? How do you manage that? Those are, but those are design challenges that I'm confident that can be solved. And we're up to the, the challenge of it. We did it to some degree with Twitterific and, and we'll be doing it again with Tapestry. And it's really interesting. I love the fact that you've been very realistic on a timescale. I mean, but the delivery date on the Kickstarter is what, December of 2024. So, nearly a whole year yeah. to develop this thing and to get it right. And I think some of the higher tier pledges get you onto the regular test flight builds. I mean, it's a, it, software doesn't grow on trees. It takes time to develop, you know, it's just like anything else. And if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. And it requires a lot of trial and error and feedback from users. And so it takes time and money. That's, that's anyone who tells you that th- this stuff doesn't, require money and time is selling you something. They really are. They, they're, they're not giving you the full scoop. You know, it's either a hobby for them and they don't care about making money with it, or they're flushed with virtual, you know, investor funds and they don't have a really return on, on what they're doing or they don't, they're not emotionally or physically invested in that development. So we are, we, we love what we do. And that that 
hopefully that reflects in this Kickstarter and other our other apps. I, I think it does. It, it absolutely does, and everything. And you know, just even the way you know we're talking and having a really honest discussion. This is for me the fact, and I, you've obviously been on a number of podcasts to promote Tapestry, but I just, I mean, personally, this is me speaking here. You know. I love how open you are to come and talk and, and just give your honest views on what's going on. Now, you know, at the moment, you've just passed. Where are we? Yeah, you just passed the funded goal. Now, the next stretch goal is really interesting. I guess these are also in flux where, you know, we're looking yeah. at, you know, I mean, what's on the Kickstarter right now? The one fifty $150,000 stretch goal is going to, uh, bring in muffling and muting. I guess the idea is that the more of these stretch goals you hit, the the more you'll be al- be able to add to the one release. Is that the, the plan? Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of them are. I mean, we we're adding them as goals to try to reach, but things are always in flux. There's there's nothing here that's fixed. So if priorities change, they can change. But the more money we can raise, the and the, the more likely it will be that we'll be able to hit more of these feature goals within the app. Um, there's some things on that list that we want ourselves, like a Mac OS version. Yeah. That's like way up high on the list. There's different levels of that for a Mac app. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, silicon versions, which are just right out of the box of a port of iOS, but that's not what really what we want. And that's not what people want. They want a native Mac OS app with all the bells and whistles and, and everything that's associated with it. And that requires more time and more money. So, you know, it's a stretch goal and hopefully we'll, we'll get to it. I would really love to. I'm really excited by that. And again, look, you know, this is something we can, we can talk a lot about a little bit later on. Maybe is the difference between you just said, talked about native Mac apps versus just running the iPhone or iPad version on Apple Silicon. So I do want to loop back to that. But one thing that you've made really clear in, in the Kickstarter and you said just before is that if the data is publicly accessible, now that doesn't right. mean that it's on a website somewhere that you can access. It means that it has to be a <laughs> and not <laughs> I wanna be care- I wanna be careful how we say this. There has to be a stable and reliable API <laughs> um yeah. an endpoint. An endpoint for, end for you to pick this up. Now right. obviously things like Mastodon, of course we've got activity pubs so really relatively easy now one of the cool things i mean one of the things besides you mentioned that you won't be able to pull data from because there is no endpoint, is instagram but do you know what right. great site that does exactly what instagram does that is on activity pub that is on the fediverse folks pixel fed I, I don't know if you've come if you've used much of pixel fed uh, pixel fed instance yet i i have not no i love it it is basically the fediverse version of Instagram in much the same way that Peertube is and should be more recognized is the Fediverse version of, of YouTube. I really wish we could, honestly, I wish we could host our own Peertube instance for Crosswise. But folks, without getting too much into it, our Linode bill is big enough as it is here right now. You know, it, I, I'm sure you guys know all about that from all the work you've had to do with, with servers over the years. So we won't go too much into that. But one of the things you mentioned in the Kickstarter is comic books. 
Now, where is yeah, web, web comics. comics? Now, yeah. where is that uh, something that's a passion of yours, or is it part of a team? <laughs> Craig's. It's one of Craig's passions. He he subscribes to a bunch of different web comics, so that of course was something that he wanted to build into tapestry as as having an ability for that. And <clears throat> I mean, there's no. There's no way that the the tool can be everything to everyone. We don't want to try to be that, but the the goal is to be as flexible and and open as possible, and giving developers the tools to create these connections themselves will allow them to think up ways to display the things that are important to them in in their timeline. I really like and, that. Yeah, you know, hopefully that that will come pass and everything will be i mean that's the point of it so whether those endpoints will be shareable and how easily they will be browsable and how many of them will there be a thousand of them will there be ten thousand of them we don't know that yet and how popular it will be we don't know that yet so there's a lot of unknowns there but the possibilities are are open and that's the part that's really exciting i think it's going to be a wonderful now one thing i do want to just clear up this is not intended to be a uh, what's the word a mastodon client you're not going to be posting from this this is read only this is right your go to this place to find all the things you want to read and then you'll go off elsewhere and interact with you know mastodon for example yeah the apple the ideally the apple have a a bevy of a list of your favorite apps. Like if you use Mastodon, then you'll use Ivory with it, or you'll use Mona app or something Ice else. Cubes, and yeah. Tapestry will, will hand off that post to that app and you'll be able to go and like it, reply to it, do all of the things that you would do if you were, you know, reading it in within the app in the first place. And so each content type or source type will have an associated app with it and you'll be able to do that but tapestry will be hopefully the place where you'll keep track of all of those things and it will remember your reading position it'll know what you've looked at and what you haven't looked at what you need to focus on and what not and and we'll go from there that that this again is unknown there's a prototype exists for it. Craig created a, a, a proof of concept for it and it works and it's pretty cool, but it's not in a state where there a lot of these interactions can happen yet. So there's still unknowns about how, what's going to happen when you go to interact with these posts and how badly people are going to want to interact, favorite something or reply or what all, all of these things. We have plans in place. We have an idea of what we want to do. Um, but we just have to get over the, the funding line so we can start working on it. That's what we really want to be able to do. And also, and obviously, as we said, we, you are over that first, that first hurdle in, you know, we're still 28 days to go. I'm really optimistic. I mean, obviously I mentioned pre-show myself and Jay are going to be back in the project because we really are excited by what's going on. And I'd encourage you folks, because one of the cool things about Kickstarter, obviously there are some rewards. Now, let me just, let's go and have a quick look. I, I, some of the rewards, I think there was one really high-end reward that I think has already gone, hasn't it, if I remember correctly? Yeah. It's really cra- crazy how quick those high, high-end high ones went. The, the, the one red Ollie that we had left over from Twitterific um, that was created by artist David Lanham, that uh, is gone. And I knew it would it would be a good idea to to 
keep that around from Twitterfic days in case we ever <laughs> needed it in some time in the future. And it turned out that it was that was a good idea. And we had a bunch of other ollies left over from Twitterfic that were also rewards, and those are have all been snatched up too. Yeah. So we're probably going to come up with some other ideas for rewards um, to add before the the, the Kickstarter date comes around so keep an eye on the project page new things will be added and we'll be talking about uh, some other reward levels and things like that in the days ahead and even even because this is one of the things i didn't realize you could do on kickstarter i don't know if it's changed since the last time i backed a project is you can do a pledge without rewards so if folks if you want to support the team at icon factory with just a dollar well you can do that but the, the first reward starts at $5 for the paper reward, which is a awesome digital wallpaper pack. Now, folks, these are the people who bring you Wallaroo. If you like any of the Wallaroo... I can't... I can never pronounce the app name properly. I'm sorry. Wallaroo. Wallaroo. There you yeah. go. Then yeah. that reward by itself, I mean, is brilliant. You've also then got, you know, into the $25. That is the released app, Right. Uh, plus um, some uh, back-at-only icons and a few other bits, and then you start going into... Number one, I have to be very, very honest with you, is the one I'm excited about, and I don't know why I'm so excited about this. <laughs> it's a packet of Icon Factory stickers. Stickers. So many people say that. Stickers are so wildly popular. I, I've heard that so many times. People, I was like, what I really want are the stickers. And then, then, then I'm going to have to get some stickers just up for sale after this uh, uh, somewhere for for Icon Factory because evidently people love stickers. Well, I, I was talking so. to – I went to the Raspberry Pi store when I was going to buy Jay's Pi for Christmas, and they sell packs of stickers. I think it's like five – five pounds maybe and you get this huge pack of stickers i put the ones that i wanted onto my thinkpad my like nerdy thinkpad my linux thinkpad you know because you've got to run linux on a thinkpad right it's it's the right thing to do i left the rest on the table at my parents i came back my nephew had taken most of them and applied them to his various devices like well done, uh, like like candy to kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? The stickers. I said to him, "Do you want yeah. some cross wire stickers?" Like, no, thanks. I'm good. It's like he doesn't want anything. <laughs> like, if, if I told him they were Jay's stickers, he'd be fine. My nephew has right. actually told me, folks, that he prefers Jay to me. This is my blood relation. Oh, <laughs> anyway, Aww. no, but stickers are very cool. So, folks, going back tapestry, it's going to be really exciting to see the development of this and. I'm really excited because I, I struggle with that problem. Trying to keep on top of all the sources and flipping between Mastodon, uh, Apple News when Apple News works, NetNews <laughs> Wire, and all the other sources. So really excited. Now, let's move on a little bit. But One thing I wanted to talk to you about because, of course, your experiences, you've done design, app design for so long, and trends change. I mean, if I said to you skeuomorphism, what yeah. would be your reaction as it stands today? Uh, I lament the loss of it. I, I really do. I, I love when it was all the rage mm. on iOS and having that tactile feel to app icons and user interfaces. I, I get why we moved away from that. Um, I understand the design philosophy there to make things cleaner, but it's in many ways, it's gone too far. There's not enough affordances 
and uh, things are not discoverable enough within user interfaces on the on the whole these days and so things can be hidden and it, they're not very easy to interact with or understand in in many ways with modern user interface design so there's a lot of pushback against that you know and i think that's a really good point i think we have gone too much of a less is less is more but less then doesn't help you to understand how you should use an app what you should do right. when you press a button you know right um i mean one of the systems at work has a button that looks like it would do one thing but does mm. a completely other thing that we've been told we must not press because it will crash the <laughs> server behind us is like if there's a button that can crash the back end, why is it in the app, in the web interface? Oh, because we haven't mm-hmm. moved it. Now, because I, I remember first iPad, you know, the first generation um, with the skeuomorphic design, the notes app with, uh, and the contacts with the mm. little bits of leather and everything like, and paper. And right. I, I will admit, I do miss that. I miss that. This is an app, but now fair enough. It maybe got a little bit over the top in some cases. Sure. But what do you think makes, what's the biggest mistake? If you're looking at apps today, and I think we'll obviously be, you know, fairly careful how we say this, but if, when we look at the multitude of apps, is there a, almost like a, a cardinal sin that you think that designers are making that maybe, if you could tell people to not make that mistake and they would actually listen? What do you think that would be? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I make a lot of these mistakes as, as an app designer, so I have to remind myself to make features discoverable uh, intentionally when I when I design apps. It's it's not always self evident about how to do things. You want to build in. Oftentimes, I'm guilty of it. I was like, well, we can just make that a power feature. If you tap and hold on something, then something else will happen. But who's going to know to do that? Right. Unless they actually have a a tutorial or a a quick tip or something that pops up and says tap and hold there. But then even then, like, do you remember that? How long does that stick with you? Like the, the whole shake your device to undo that whole iOS paradigm, I think, is like a big one that people do. Most people know that, or do, or do they even know that they can tap and put their finger on the space bar in the keyboard in iOS and move the cursor around on the screen? That that is a supremely helpful thing to know to be able to insert your cursor anywhere in the compose field, but you have to know that you can do that. <laughs> and it is not discoverable in the in the least. It is not. And so, no. yeah, there has there should be ways to be able to do these things that are obvious and discoverable, and then you can add in shortcuts and power features and and all of these things that those power users can can become familiar with and and love to use. But they can't just be the non discoverable ways to do things. That's probably like my biggest pet peeve. I would say. Along with accessibility, apps that are not accessible, they don't support voiceover, they don't support dynamic type size, they don't, they have low contrast text in, in fields um, that make them hard to read or t- 
teeny tiny type that's extremely hard to read. Uh, lots of blurs and surface effects that interfere with readability, those kinds of things. Those, those are all pet peeves of mine. For a company who is so passionate about accessibility or seem to be, can someone tell me why Apple just have let the publishers go free reign in Apple News? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It probably comes down to economics and giving them control over their own content kinds of things. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not familiar enough to be able to speak to it directly. No, no, it's, it's more of a, that's more of an open question because it drives me crazy. I, you know, I'm trying to read, you know, I, as you can tell folks, I have really bad eyesight. I want to be mm-hmm. able to read my news feeds and, you know, fair play to, you know, obviously Twitterific had dynamic text, um, fair play to, I think it's, I feel, I find it somewhat ironic that we're now talking about, when we talk about Mastodon apps, where everyone's always talking about Ivory, which of course back in the day it was, you know, yourselves and, and Tapbots who were the, right. you know, in, in the red corner, in the blue corner, as it were. But right, I will actually say one feature in Ivory on iOS that trips me up all the time, hidden gestures, because there's a hidden gesture mm-hmm. to change your color theme. But I accidentally changed my color themes far too often. Yeah, and and we had a hidden gesture similar to that in Twitterific that you would you would change from light to dark theme with a two fingered swipe left or right on the screen, uh. and uh, uh, people that was like one of the biggest support issues I would get from week to week was all of a sudden my Twitterific changed from light to dark and I didn't do anything. Well, they accidentally type swipe with two fingers and, and changed it. And that was obviously not as good as it could have been. And there's no way to disable those, those gestures within Twitterific. So the only thing you could do is you swipe again and, and change it back. Um, so you live and you learn as, as a designer when you, when you do those things and hopefully you don't make the same mistakes twice. No, but, and, and here's the thing as well. That was a feature that's like, obviously oh, a really cool thing to add. And for so many users, it will be helpful, a quick way to swipe. But I think sometimes, and I know that this is just a, the case in the world of tech, sometimes we don't always look at every scenario. And I think it's almost impossible to do that. If, if, you know, I know accessibility, for example. I know that we are trying to make sure that our website, you know, the Crosswise website is accessible. That in itself is a challenge to make, right. you know, transcription for a podcast. That's hard. Although uh, supposedly that's gotten a lot easier now with that new feature in iOS that will transcribe podcasts for you. So yeah, Apple Podcasts. Have I have. This is really exciting. It's using a whisper model. So they are going to be transcribing. I think it's at server side on Apple Podcasts rather than on device. Um, because we as a, you as a, as a podcaster can put your own transcript in. The challenge I have is that obviously with my strong Northern English accent, it doesn't always pick up right. my wording. And, you know, right. I, we do get transcripts from our hosting provider. Our Castos do free transcripts. We, we've also used Transcriptionist from Woozy Juice, and that does a great job. That's all on-device processing. But it still requires manual editing to make sure that you know the words we're saying sure. are correct. And 
sure. both being Jay work full time. So accessibility is a, a, a you know something to really consider. Isn't this something that like AI is supposed to help with? This seems like a place where AI would be like the natural fit, doesn't it? It, it like, does. It does, but <laughs> where, but, but where is it learning that data from? That's always yeah. my problem. Is where is it getting the data to train my model to pick up my you know my accent or things like that? I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but it's just it's 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 like a I don't I don't need AI to de- to design for me. I don't need to for it to create imagery for me. I I want it to answer technical support. I want it to do the the mundane things that computers are supposed to be really good at doing and and do them like this like automatically describing an image that i'm about to post to mastodon that that's a great use of ai and it, it's come a long way things like that um, give me 10 synonyms for beautiful when i write and, and i'll use that things like that but uh, i'm yeah I'm, I, we could do a whole oh. thing about oh AI we are we the, we doing so much content we got i mean we need to schedule it one of the really scary things for me right now is the dangers of AI in education. I mean, look, we've, in our family, mine and Jay's family, we've had an incident with someone nearly failing high school because they used chat GT, GPT for their final assignment. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. And they'd be, you know, that person's uh. been very honest about that, but still, it's scary. And I mean, just as a side note, you've heard tim cook saying that apple's gener- generative ai features coming later this year right can we hope that that's all going to be on device and true to apple's uh, at this point seeming commitment to privacy and ethics one one can hope i i sincerely hope so that would be marvelous because again they're in a unique position to impose that kind of privacy on the ai industry and where they go, others will probably follow. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. And I really, I really do hope so. Apple, Apple, of course, is far from perfect. They, they make a lot of mistakes and they, they learn like the rest of us, but they do come, I think, from a, a point of view and a perspective where they do value users' privacy. And hopefully, because AI needs it badly and, and respecting the legal ramifications of of content and like you're saying that you you train on and all of those things is this is we're in the wild west roughneck portion of the ai timeline right now and uh, it'd be interesting to see how it all shakes out i i'm very interested i mean look as you said apple are not perfect and look go back folks and listen to the discussion we had with, with zach all about you know android versus ios Apple aren't perfect, and I mean, I think I, I didn't want to get too much into this, but in a short sentence, and, and, and this is a challenge, maybe. What's your take on the DMA? Apple's, I, I think a friend of mine called it contankerous compliance with EU law. Yeah, it's obvious that they they're sticking to the letter and not the spirit of the law, and as a a corporation, you probably can't blame them for that. They are a corporation. They are not a person. They, they have their shareholders at, at the highest level that, that it all matters. The, the bottom line is what matters. So 
if they have to introduce these onerous compliances to with the EU, then that's what they will do. They will see as see about how far they can get with it before they're rebuked and and things have to change again. For for the vast majority of developers, they're not going to change their terms. They're not going to to, to adopt these new terms with with Apple. Um and that's what Apple is counting on. That's what they're that why they did it, obviously. Because the new terms are so unattractive that they uh, is a discouragement for most developers. Yeah, I, I get right. that. And I think you this is a point I keep echoing. Apple are not your friends. Apple are a shareholder owned company right. who have an obligation to make money for their shareholders. Right. And that, unfortunately, is possibly the biggest challenge in big tech right now, isn't it? Isn't it? But <laughs> yeah. all these companies, you know, we're not, you know, it's very, it's very different. If I, for example, if I said to you, an icon factory, oh, okay, I think you're doing, and obviously I'm not saying this, but take an example, I think you're doing this wrong. Well, you can respond as a small company and say, actually, you know what? You're right. Let's change it. Right. Because it's your decision and it's only yourselves. I mean, how, how many are on the team now? Seven. seven. There's seven of us. And privately yeah. owned? No, not a public? No. no. So privately owned company who get to make your decisions based on your beliefs and your values. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing Kickstarter for Tapestry, that so that we have the freedom to do what we want with the app. As with all of our apps, I people ask, why don't you seek venture capital for this app? Why why not do that? I'm sure people, somebody would pony up for it. Well, that's not a given, given the state of the of the technology and the, and the, of the tech industry right now. Unless it has the word AI attached to it, I I almost guarantee you, you're not going to get venture capital for it. Secondly, I don't want to. None of us want to do that. Because as soon as you accept that money, as soon as you accept influence from outside sources, they, of course, want a return on their investment. They want to have a say in how things work, where it's getting introduced, where it's marketed, all of these things. And we don't want that. We have a vision for it. We always have with our apps. That's that's why we do what we do. We we make apps primarily for ourselves. <laughs> uh, Linea was that way. Wallaroo is that way. Xscope was that way. All of these apps are things that we made because we wanted them. And then we're, we say, okay, well, if we want it, maybe other people would want to use it. And we put it in a position where other people can try it out and pay us for it if they like it. And we go from there. Not Wall Street, not Silicon Valley. <laughs> and that brings another point, because when you talk bringing in VC, you said where it gets distributed. I've seen some truly great apps, but still are great apps, that got VC funding and had to, by because of the VC agreements and all the pressure, had to build for platforms that they personally did not give a monkey's about. Yep. And and I can yep. almost guarantee you, if let let's swing back, say, five years when Twitterific was still a thing, and you, let's say you had accepted VC funding, we would have probably seen Twitterific for Android because that's what they would have wanted. But oh sure. But for sure. But would that have made any money? 
I challenge you to say yes. I don't think I, so. No, I don't think so. And and that's the point of of venture capitalism. Now it' all about making money. They have to have a return on their investment. So if you're getting money to make something, you better damn well make sure that you have a plan in order to return that investment to those who gave it to you in the first place. And if you don't, you're going to lose control of the thing. They're going to kick you out, and that'll be that. Yeah. Game over. It's and, not your. It's not your yeah. app anymore. And I think it's fair to say. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There are no Icon Factory apps for any for any non Apple platforms. No, because that's what you guys. Because we don't we don't own Android devices. We don't own Windows PCs. We don't use those devices. We again we make software that we ourselves want to use and will use. And so we use Apple products. We use iPhones, iPads, Macs, the, and Apple Watches, and hopefully Vision Pros. I was going to say, is yours on the way? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the the whole jury is out on on Vision Pro. I really, I, other people have asked me about that, and I really, I, and I haven't even tried one yet. I haven't even been able to to go and and try one yet. So I, I can't speak with any authority. Oh, no. On Vision Pro. All, all I can say with certainty is this is something we covered on our coffee chat stream this week is don't drive with a Vision Pro. <laughs> don't cross the street Vision with a Pro. Vision Pro. Like, right? Jeez. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just people seem to lose. Like, you wouldn't walk out there with a, a, a PSVR. I mean, you couldn't anyway. But somehow the fact that this thing's got a battery seems to make it okay to just be absolute idiots with it. Now, I don't mind. Look, I have no problem. So once you use the Vision Pro on a plane, you know, um, I, sure, fine. I mean, was it? Yeah, Marquez Brownlee made a really good point. If he's editing a video on the plane, well, first of all, he doesn't necessarily want odd stares from his from his seat neighbor. Why he's editing a video of himself doing something? But also, you can get a much better experience. Um, but there's a lot of interesting things I think Vision Pro could be good for. My biggest question is if it's going to come outside of the US, because Jay made me laugh. I have got it. So Jay said to me, she said, you know what? I'd love to try on a Vision Pro. She says, why don't we go to an Apple store when I come over in March? I'm like, um, yeah, slight problem with that. It's not here. She's like, oh, yeah. Mm. Now, that last point about only making apps for the platforms that you use and you love. I want to just ask maybe what some of the challenges you found, because obviously in your develop, in your design and development career, you've cha- you know, you've seen the shift from Mac into iPhone, into iPad. What are the challenges of designing for, you know, I mean, as many developers like James Thompson of, of Peacock fame, for example, are designing for Vision Pro, we're starting to see a whole new platform. What, as a designer, what are the hardest things about picking up a new platform for a design aspect well for one of them is the money if if we were a big company if we were adobe it wouldn't be no problem to go and pick up a a couple a dozen vision pros to do development and testing and design on but for a small company like us an investment of even two or three of those units is significant yeah amount of money and uh of course do you really want to design without being able to use it without being able to test it yourself 
sure you could do it in the simulator and and a lot of the devs who have released apps in the last week have done that is that acceptable i would say probably yes is assuming that your app isn't overly complicated and doesn't have multiple interactions in in spatial awareness and all of these things but as soon as you step outside of the the Mac window kind of world, you're going to want a vision pro to test on and to find problems with, and you can't anticipate a lot of the problems unless you actually test on the device. So that's one of the biggest challenges. When Twitterific for iPad came out, we got invited to Apple in secret, like a lot of other developers to put Twitterific on the then unreleased iPad and and test it and design for it. We spent a week there doing this um, for the iPad. And we did it actually for Apple Watch as well. When Apple Watch was first released, we, we went out to Apple and designed for the watch out there in Cupertino. And both of those experiences were great. Apple was really supportive, and it really gave us a leg up on on developing for these new platforms. And I'm sure that all the people and developers who did that for Vision Pro experienced something very similar to that. We kind of made a judgment call and said, well, are there, any, are there any one of our apps that we feel we really have to be on Vision Pro on day one? There just wasn't. So we're waiting to see how this all shakes out. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Obviously, I guess Tapestry is the only one. Obviously, it's not ready yet, but Tapestry is the only one I could personally could think of that makes sense for the Vision Pro. And I guess down the line, and of course, if it really, you know, when it, no, not if. When it releases, when, when, yeah, of course, you'll be able to run it on Vision Pro as an iPad or iPhone app. So, right. which brings so that's one. I, I like that aspect, but it isn't necessarily about the you know. Oh, let's just slap this together. It's well, let's see how it works on real hardware. Let's see what actually right. actually using an iPad for this is because. I think sometimes, and I've experienced this, iPhone apps that just what sort of, sort of uh, get fatter on iPad are not a great mm-hmm. experience at all. Right. right. And it's true on any platform. Do I mean, I don't know how much you can speak to this. When, when Apple are announcing a new phone, and I don't know if they've done this in a while where the developer requirements for design design elements you so um, increased resolution so because i think this all started back in the retina days didn't it was it was that the 4s over four no i think i don't remember. i think that might be before good good question yeah i don't but remember. you would have had to because when retina screens came in which i think was before i'm gonna yes it was the ipad 2 and me and the iphone 4 if i remember correctly you would have had to design separate assets to do, not separate, right. but I guess release two versions. Right. Do Apple give you enough of a heads up as a developer that that might be happening? Or is it very much, oh, that means we're going to have to redesign our app again? Or I- Often they do. Yeah. They, I'll never forget the day when I was sitting in Macworld, I think it was Macworld, when Steve Jobs announced Mac OS X. And that was 
that was the day that icons went from being 32 by 32 pixels to 128 by 128 pixels and millions of colors and, and all of that. And as a designer, I had no warning about that at all. And I remember, I remember the, the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach as I sat there and watched that and thought, wow, our business is over because we had built a reputation on, on designing these pixel click 32 by 32 icons for software. And now all of a sudden they got an order of magnitude larger and more elaborate and realistic. And I, I went into this really depression for a little while until I realized what an opportunity it was. And then of course we adapted and, and made our, our reputation known for designing for Mac OS 10 and we got really good at it and, and all of those things. So it really depends on on how you take those changes. Do you roll with the punches? Do you reject them? Do you push back against them? Um, of course, being having advanced notice is always great. And notably, that did not happen when he who shall not be named <laughs> pulled the plug on Twitter. No. It, you know, they just yanked the cord out and, and left a whole lot of developers and people in the lurch. So it's the actual, the antithesis of that and, and how badly it can go when there's no warning for things. Right. And, and stuff being, you know, I'm sure, I mean, you know, if an entire device category got axed from Apple, well, hang on a second, but it's, it is really interesting. I, I mean, and in terms of like, the fidelity of design, because it's something that always intrigues me, is how I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was um, was it CSS Edit who put a little TPS. Is it is it is in one of I can't remember whose app it was, and it's really bad. I should remember this, but there's a reference to TPS reports hidden in the icon, but you'd only see it if you did a preview on the app. <laughs> Does that how? How intricate do, does design for apps have to be these days? What, uh, you know, uh, I think of, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, I think of building scenes for Twitch. And I think, oh, well, no one's ever going to see that bit of detail, so I don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's a, is my time better spent getting that bit working? What's, is there an aspect of that with, with app design? There's a good analogy there, which is for the longest time on Mac OS, icon designers good ones should have should have been responsible for designing hint sizes of the various of your app icon if you have your app icon you have the large beautiful 512 or 1024 or 2048 version but then there's also the the other sizes that appear in the mac os finder in in the finder windows like a 32 by 32 or 64 and even down to the 16 by 16 version and for the longest time we did we designed all of those hint sizes for icons manually because we wanted them to be crisp and clean and clear and all of those things. And we prided ourselves on that. And nowadays you don't even need to do that because the, 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 the OS generates those sizes dynamically from the, the single base file. Is that better? Probably not for the user. Those things are blurrier. They're, they're not as detailed, but you have to pick your battles. You have to decide where the bang for your buck needs to go. Is it pixel pushing these small, hint sizes that almost no one will ever see or is it 
devoting your time and energy to accessibility issues and user interactions and, and making sure that the app, uh, is, is accessible and readable and legible and, and all of these things and, and easy to use and the onboarding is, is doing things correctly. So much has changed over the years when, when you design for apps, um, as, as it will continue to do so every single day. My job is always in flux. I'm always learning something new every single day. I swear. And and if I can ask, what are your? Because this is I don't think we talk. What are your go-to tool, tools for design? I mean, obviously for measuring things, I'm going to assume you're going to use Xscope, um, right? You know, unless yeah. we're about to drop a bombshell. But for because when I again, this is me coming from a print. I want print and screen design. So you know, Keynote, PowerPoint. This is my design lineage, right? What are your go-to tools? Well, um, I was trained on Photoshop and Illustrator, and that's what I've been using for the majority of my professional life. I've you also use Figma and and other tools as well. We we use those from time to time to do prototyping and and things like that. I find myself going back to what I know often, which is Photoshop. There's always new tools that come along, and people. Why don't you use this? Go try to use this. If anything's going to get me to get off Photoshop, it's going to be their subscription model than anything else because they, you know, it's just, it's like everything else these days is they got you over the barrel. And that makes me want to learn new tools. I'll tell you that. But, uh, yeah, I use, we, we use our own tools. I use Linea to sketch concepts on my iPad. Um, we use Slack to, collaborate online uh we use um xscope to measure and and test accessibility color blindness all of those things and then of course we we create comps and give them to the programmers and they create it in swift or or um uh, what's the the app kit uh all of those oh, things oh app kit so, and, yeah know, swift yeah no no i i i yeah. I just about know this. I think that only comes from listening to um, from Marco and Casey on uh, ATP enough yeah. to know a little bit about that. I do. I'm not a developer. I, I do you know? Yeah. I wanted to learn, and I don't know what it was. I think I, I don't want to say got put off, but maybe maybe my brain's just not wired that way. But it, it's really interesting. You talk about you know the subscription with um, with Adobe because that's being very honest with one of the reasons I've moved away because I was never, I'll be honest with you, for maybe about a year, I was a paying Adobe customer. I had Creative Cloud. Previously, of course, I was one of those naughty, naughty people who maybe didn't pay Adobe anything for software because it was pricey, right? It was. Oh, it, yeah, it still is pricey. It was, yeah. It was, well, I'm a subscription model, locks you in. I, I've moved to Affinity's suite. Right. A lot but, of people have, yeah, affinity, yeah. It's really good. It's, you know, if you want, if you know, you folks, you look at our streams, you look at our Crosswise logo, any of the assets for Crosswires are designed in Affinity Designer. Some stuff in Affinity Filter if I need to do some filter work, you know, but that's what I've used. Now, as a final sort of quick discussion, because I know we could spend all day talking design, but yeah. which is absolutely fine. For you, what this is maybe a tough question to answer, but what for you gets you, what gives you that passion for design? What, what, what's that moment you think, Oh my gosh, 
this looks great or I've done something here. Is there a moment that you've had or maybe some, you know, maybe some tales that you've had of just those joyful moments of seeing your work complete or uh, I seem to remember Twitter for it being featured in many keynotes, the icon at least. Yeah, there was a, there was a moment there in one of the, the, keynote presentations where Twitterific is one of the app icons and it's right over Tim's shoulder in the background. And this is a giant wall of app icons and Ollie is sitting right there over his right shoulder. And, uh, that was, that was a moment. I, I, it was surreal and it was wonderful. And you don't ever expect that icon factory apps have been in, Apple keynotes more often than I would have ever thought. Linea has been there. Forensic was there. Twitterific multiple times. Uh, Phil Schiller showing off Twitterific back in the day. All of those things, which those things are great, you know, but they don't get me as excited really as solving problems. My, my favorite thing about doing design is solving those interaction and design and visual problems. There's a challenge there. There's a problem that has to be solved. How do we do it? How do we present this in a way where people are going to want to use it or they find it fun to use or elegant? I have really, really enjoyed designing and working on Linea Sketch for the iPad. And one of the reasons is, I mean, I use it all the time, but it's just a joy to be able to Create something that you know that other people are going to use in order to create. They're, they're going to be able to use this thing that you have made to unlock a potential within themselves that maybe they didn't even know existed at the time. And they will always find ways to use your tools in ways that you never even thought would they would be used and that in of itself is extremely gratifying and extremely satisfying and i love it so much that that along with the accessible the accessibility nature of it hearing from blind users or whoever saying thank you for making your app accessible and something that i can use on a day-to-day basis i have gotten a lot of those over the years and i i really I'm humbled by them. We all are. And it's really cements the, the nature of the importance of accessibility in your app. Because just because you think no one's going to use it doesn't mean that it's going to be the case. If it's accessible, then it can be used yes. by other people that you may not think would want to use it or have a need for it. And it turns out that that's really super important. And <laughs> As a developer, it's something that I think we should all just take pride in and, and and celebrate that we make our apps in such a way that they can be used by the widest possible audience. Th- those are the things that really keep me in this job and, and keep me doing what I'm doing. I I really do love my job and I'm I'm gratified. We all are that people are taken so well to tapestry and funded it and that we will get a chance to make this app. We really want to make it and we want to be able to, to bring it to people and, and hopefully fulfill the promises that we have tried to, to, to create with tapestry. Um, and I'm, I think I can speak for, I can certainly speak for myself and Jay. We're excited. And I think, you know, again, the openness of what, what's going to be 
sort of on the list. And this is not by any means vaporware. We Icon Factory folks have have the trust and the respect of the of the Apple community, well earned trust and respect. You know, and c- can I say? I am so thrilled that a year after the, dis- the disaster of the Twitter incident, <laughs> I'm still talking to you as a member of Icon Factory, but Icon Factory has not gone away. Uh, <laughs> there's absolutely no guarantee that that was going to happen. Yeah, you know, Twitterific was our flagship app, and it made a lot of revenue for the Icon Factory. And having it unceremoniously killed... And losing all of that revenue put everything on the table. Really, it really did. And we're still struggling from it. You know, it, we are. I'll be honest about it. it. It hurts to have that revenue from Twitterific gone. We haven't recouped that revenue yet. And hopefully Tapestry will help in that regard. Because you know? I assume Wallaroo is not at the same level. It's not. No. No. It's, no. it's a great app and it's a great service. But right. it's not something that everyone is going to pick up. Right, exactly. And and in convincing people to pay for a subscription for wallpapers for your device is a lot harder than staying in touch with your friends and, and whatever on social media. So it it's it's a harder sell. Um and it's also more expensive. You know, every time we, we make a wallpaper for Wallaroo, there's time and money that has to go into that. So it doesn't just the app just doesn't run itself. You know, wallpapers don't get spit out of the machine. We don't use AI to create them. We design and create them ourselves. And so that takes time and money. And, you know, we're still trying to get Wallaroo up to a place where it, it's self-sufficient revenue-wise. And it, it is, you know, again, it's a challenge. And I think it, you know, obviously it hit yourselves hard. It hit a lot of, I, I can imagine a lot of small developers got hit harder than, you know, I mean, like, for example, the likes of, um, let's say, Buffer or the companies that had Twitter integrations. Right. Not their primary business model. They don't care. Right. Whereas it really hit yourselves. No, but I am genuinely thrilled. And Tapestry is an exciting. I also love the fact that, that your first social me- social media app after which Twitterific is not just Masterific. Oh God! Oh oh! Ah. No, ah. please never call that that master. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. <laughs> well, honestly, you know, I mean, we thought about it and we considered it, but to their credit, there are a lot of great Mastodon apps that that are out there, and they flooded in as soon as Twitter was was removed from the equation and. It would be very difficult to create a compelling Mastodon app that would be better than some of them that are out there right now. And honestly, I really just don't have it in me to, to try to compete with that right now. I, I, I did it for years with Twitterific and Tabbots, um, with Tweetbot, and it took a lot out of me. And I, I, I just, I don't have the desire for that. And, uh, so, and why, why would you need it? I mean, like I said, there's, there's so many great apps available for Mastodon right now. Um, lots to choose from. And it goes to show what happens when you create a truly open API that is not disadvantaging developers. 
Right. Really is important um, to do that. Um, Which is what Twitter was back in the day. They had open APIs. They encouraged development for their platform. That's why there were so many Twitter third-party apps that were great. And then they threw that all away they really so. did anyway but folks go back um i'll put a link in the show notes to gideon's first episode with us because i mean i i will be very honest this is me speaking as a podcast host and producer there was that moment when because i reached out to sean at first and then he said well i'm not particularly in a place to talk about it but here let me point you towards gideon and it was for me. It was a huge honor to have someone, you know, like yourself. I think there's been a few times where I don't. I don't know if you people get this if, if you're not a podcast host, but when you get a guest that you would maybe never expect to guest. I mean, to get there is a certain like I meant to have that guest come back tw- two more times. I think I've never seen an email response faster than this one. Like, yeah, I'm up for it. Literally, I sent Gideon the scheduling link, and probably within less than a day, he'd already requested time on the calendar. And I think that was literally yesterday, wasn't it? I think. No, (laughs) yeah. It was yesterday, but you, we. You guys have been great. You really have been supportive, and we really appreciate that. We, you know, we we're such a small company, and we don't have the means to get beyond our little bubble in in the in the social media world. We really need help to get the word out about about what we do, and so I have to say thank you to you and and the other podcasters and bloggers who who help spread the word about our little corner of it. And um, so thanks. And thanks for having me back. I'm always up for coming back, especially if you talk Star Trek or science fiction or whatever. You oh, know. we I'm could, we could, that, you know. we could, we could do a whole, <laughs> do you know, I really want to just do a, a spin off show that is just random guests who have had on this show. Can we talk about their favorite sci-fi? Cause I know that me and you could spend hours <laughs> talking about Babylon five. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, love you know. and I recently started watching Stargate SG One. I never watched it back in the day, and I I've been watching. I finished season one and partnered way through season two, and I'm loving it. And I was like, why didn't I watch this back when it came out twenty years ago or whatever? And I'm like, should have because it's great. I Everyone th- kept telling me on Mastodon is awesome, and it is. Oh, so I've been really enjoying that. I think what for me what makes Stargate so good is that it is believable that that could be, could be happening. Obviously, we're ahead of it now, but when it, it almost felt like it was happening real time, it was right. set in our time with the, 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 you, the complexities of the US government. Cause, right, right. You know, have you met... I'm really Sen- enjoying that part of have it. You met, yeah. Have you met Senator Kinsey yet? Yes. 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 Ronnie Cox. I don't yes. know how he does it, he plays an absolute git in everything he does. <laughs> He's awesome, man. He yeah. really is great. He was, he, yeah, he, he was, he was a jerkwad there in Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, of course, on Stargate as the jerkwad. And he, yeah, he has a knack for that, that kind of role. Where he's just like, you just want to strangle him, you know. But a lot of times he's right about things, which is even more frustrating. Like, oh, I think my favorite line out of Stargate for season one, SG one, is the wonderful line from uh, Amanda Tapping. 
It took us what was it? Some how many? So many years and so many million dollars to MacGyver. To MacGyver yeah, to MacGyver this, and, and you can you can literally they cut to Richard Dean Anderson, and you can literally see him roll his eyes. He's like, "Really? We're, we're, we're know, going there? <laughs> we're, we're going to go there?" I love those in jokes on, some, on Stargate SG One. I really enjoy. There's them. some. It is a great series. I won't spoil anything, but there's some even more wonderful in jokes coming up in, in later series. Um, and it mostly holds its form. Anyway, look, this is not. We will definitely have. I'm trying to think how what what could our next the science of the tech of a certain side. We need to think about that. I, I will drop you an email and we'll figure out what our, okay. our next tech ep- tech tech sci-fi episode could be. Um, <laughs> final question for you: Are you ex- are you excited for the potential that is Star Trek Legacy? Yeah, I I am. I I I I can't wait for the return of Strange New Worlds once again. That that really has become my favorite Star Trek series. Also, Lower Decks. I I adore Lower Decks. I really didn't think I would when it first came out. I was really skeptical about it, but it quickly grew on me, like moss, and uh, I love it. So yeah, I'm, Legacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Lower Decks has definitely grown into a point now where I'm watching the Unify Network ads. And all I can picture is Brad Poindler promoting yeah. network gear. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job with that series. They really do. They're, you can tell that they all love Star Trek. Yes. The people who write that show and mm-hmm. produce that show, they love Star Trek. And it shines through in every single scene. And I think, I think for me, final wrapping up for my favorite moment of a crossover, of a Strange New Worlds crossover with Lower Decks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is where Great. is they where somehow managed to pull that off. I don't know how they pulled that in, off. Incredible. There is one. <laughs> there's one problem which I'll quickly mention before. But my favorite moment is the bit in. I think in is it's either in the ready room or the observation room on the Enterprise where Boimler just goes Riker. Yeah, and he does the the over yeah. foot the leg over onto the saddle. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, of course, Jonathan Frakes had no idea that was going to happen. He's there yeah. directing it. Yeah. <laughs> But there's one problem with that crossover. Jack Quaid is actually quite tall. But in right. Lower Decks, Boimler's not. Right. So they had to think about that was my favorite. Anyway, Jed, where can people find more about the Icon Factory? Where can people find Project Tapestry to go and back it? And where can people find you? Um, the easiest way, the easiest thing to do is head to the, the Icon Factory website, which is just iconfactory.com. And from there, we have links to our blog where we talk about tapestry and the links to the Kickstarter itself. Um, that's, you know, we have, that's just the, the, the quickest way you can get to us is iconfactory.com online. And from there, I'm on Mastodon. Uh, I wish I could say I'm just at Gideon whatever on Mastodon, but I I, I can't do that. I'm, that's like the one uh, deficiency with Mastodon these days. So I can't give you like a super super simple handle. No, for, uh, no. Because uh, even ours is because we got we set up our own instance. I know you guys did for um, Icon Factory. Yeah, we set up our own instance. Our handle is still cro- at cross.wise.social. It's not as rawly off the tongue, is it, as as other as other services? No, no. It doesn't. I'm 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 Gideon M at mastodon.social. There so you go. You so can find me bad. there. Yeah, and we'll yeah. link everything. Obviously, everything in the show notes. Yeah, 
Kijin, it's been such a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, best of luck. In fact, I don't even think you guys need luck at this point. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> we'll success. take everything, every bit we can get. So. There we go. Got everything crossed. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. Thank you, folks. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. Why not come and join our Discord community over at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got lots of text channels, we've even got voice channels, and we've got forum posts for every episode that we put out there. If you're a Mastodon, you can also follow us either by heading over to wires.social or just follow crossed at wires.social. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crossedwires.net slash YouTube for all our videos, and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crossedwires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crossedwires. That is ko-fi.com slash crossedwires. Until next time, thanks for listening.